Grumble Bumbles, dear listener. How's it going? Just wanted to start off today's episode with another little PSA like last week. Okay, Maddie, so... What you got for us? Some access to abortion rights and other things. Um, We've got... I did that weird, didn't you I? You did, but I enjoyed it. Roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like you were sedated so much. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, these are from a friend of the show, Nicolette. Uh, we've got Women on Waves and AidAccess.org. And if you're up here in Seattle, we've got the Northwest Abortion Access Fund. Um, it serves Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Alaska. And, you know, if you have to travel there, they also might have something about that. You know, I do know. Boo the Supreme Court. Moving on. Back to the pack two. Oh my gosh! Regular scheduled programming. Regular scheduled programming with a tuckered out episode this time. Hell yeah! Cord. Hey, everybody. Are you auditioning for an acapella group? Uh, yeah, it's an acapella rendition of Home Improvement. Oh, okay. That's of what course. I was going for there. Yeah. Um, should I do the intro again? Yeah. Okay. Uh, welcome to A2D Storytelling, the podcast where the points mean nothing. That, that's right, everyone. The points mean nothing. Sorry? <laughs> the points? Is this your own spin on it? Okay, no. All right. I'm 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 curious. Keep going. Uh, the ball is in the air. Let's uh, see if well, you can... so that was a niche joke. So if you watched Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah. Okay. Just no, keep, no, no. This is gold. Keep it going. <laughs> yeah, you know that currently... I mean, I, I should speak. I was about to... I was about to Zinya for referencing something old, but the opening joke was a home improvement gag, so never mind. Yeah, mine is newer than yours. Uh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, At so, least by a decade, it's older. All right, you, you, you land this intro. I'm going to look up when they were both airing, so <laughs> go on ahead. Welcome, for real, to ADD Storytelling, the podcast in which we explore the myths and legends of our time, the past, the present, and the future in no particular order, and sometimes with less than perfect focus. I am the usual host, Maddie, suffering and also enjoying in my post-capitalist state ADD brain with no medication. And this... Crushing it, babe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there was overlap. First episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway was in 1998. Last episode of Home Improvement was in 1999. 
fuck you, Maddie. Okay, yeah, but still my Go to your shame it. corner. Okay, um, and this here is Tucker, and he's doing a Tuckered Out episode. How I'm actually, doing? I moved on from uh, what I'd planned, and now it's just going to be fact-checking Maddie on home improvement trivia. Oh, okay. Do you know what's fucked up? What's fucked up, Maddie? I can list uh, a litany of things off the top of my head right now, but I'm not sure if that's the road we want to go down. You know the home improvement uh, reference, the, the tool girl? There were two two girls, weren't there? One was Pamela Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So my eighth grade teacher would call me that. Like, the one that started with T. Something the tool girl. Every time I helped him with science experiments. That sucks. It does suck, doesn't it? That's... And he, do you know what else is weird? His uh, son was in my class since kindergarten. So when I was in his eighth grade class, it was K through eight. So it was like my friend's dad. Would then call me what Tally the two girl or whatever it was. I don't know if her name was Tally, but that doesn't take Tally? away from <laughs> ta- ta- Tanya. It's a T name. Yeah, and your the first T name you went with was Holly. Ta- Tally. Ta- Tally. Tally. I don't know. The common name. Tally the two. What's her name? I don't. I, it's not that. <laughs> That's all I know. So, like, we want to have more male teachers, right? But do we what? And he was really good at stuff, but he did that teacher thing where you make fun of students for no reason, and I'm like, can't you just be funny without damaging children? No? Okay, cool. Can't you just be funny? An <laughs> accidental, but apt segue into me leading the show today. Because can I? Not sure. We'll see. You got this. Do I? I, I have total faith in you. As you should. So, dear listener, once again you are swaddled in the warm, caring arms of me, Tucker or Sartali, as we <laughs> begin another journey into the soothing dreamscape of my tales to hopefully get you a little tuckered out. Hopefully you're not driving because you're about to fall asleep. As we engage and enter... Into a connubial bliss while I recount tales. Uh, Just go with it. Don't question the connubial bliss, <laughs> I I can go into Let connubial it wash bliss, over but it. other people maybe want to step out. This is the surprise twist for this at recording. Oh, okay, sorry. It's going to get weird for okay. the listener to hear. Oh, all right, okay. Keep going, right? <laughs> so, yes. So today, yes. Great tales of escape from Japanese folklore. Okay, and what book are you using, Tucker? I'm using a compendium of Japanese folktales translated by a one Royale Tyler, which sounds like the name of a hamburger, not a human being. It's called Japanese Tales. It's a compendium of Japanese folklore, but the source our first tale comes from is the book The Uji Shue Monogatari which is a 13th century Japanese document. I have heard of that. That is where the Kitsune is published in, also. Well, one of them. Yeah, it's... There's Kitsune stories all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those were, like, OC. This book's got, like... This book's chock-a-block full of Kitsune stories. So, our first tale. Everyone will just open their books now. Chapter 75. The Dying Castle. Maddie, first of all, tell us, what do you know about escape 
Did you say dying castle? I did say dying castle. So is everyone in the castle dying, or you is the castle itself dying? I sure hope we find out. What what voice are you doing? I guess I'm doing Sean Connery for this one. Okay. I don't know, it just kind of happened. <laughs> what the fuck was that noise? It sounded like a vacuum powering down. Yeah, it sounded like someone just murdered a droid. Weird. Okay. We can leave that in. Maybe they heard it. If it, if it, (laughs) I hope it shows up on the recording. But if it didn't, let me take a go at it. It did sound like a Star Wars droid. Why don't you go for it? This is good content right here. All right. Later. How about in between each tale, we have a moment that's just like it's just called making mouth sounds with Maddie. I don't know how yeah, to Yeah, we'll do sounds. it. Okay. So. <laughs> Our first tale. This comes from around the 9th century. Are you got to keep Sean Connery up the whole time now. Oh, yes, of course. All right, so let me go back into that one. <laughs> Long ago, and feel free to interject at any moment with questions and queries, Maddie. Yeah, I tend to. Right? Yes. That's your role, so then I play that. Mm, it's a role reversal today. Yes, role yes. reversal. I, I'm omitting the joke I wanted to use for the families. <laughs> this is an explosive podcast. Yes, not today. <laughs> long... You sound kind of like Bane. Bane and Sean Connery, uh, they are bedfellows. The one from Harley Quinn show. That's just the Tom Hardy Bane. It's good. Yes. Long ago, the great master Anin went to study the Buddhist teaching in China, so as to pass it on to our land, our land being Japan, not Seattle, in this case. <laughs> in 845, he encountered Emperor Wu Sung's terrible persecution of Buddhism. Hmm. Temples were being raised, and not raised as in children, but raised with a Z. I'm Sean Connery, so I said Z and not Z. Right. Raised as in fired, burned down, that kind of thing? Flattened, I believe. Is, yes, something long, most likely via fire, though, yes. <laughs> Monks and nuns were being seized and killed or forced back into lay life, which actually, there's a bit of middle ground between those two things. Yeah, yeah. You have to either die or change professions. <laughs> well, you have to give up your entire yeah, spiritual faith and li- way of life and... What you were literally living and doing every day. Pretty big deal. Your spirituality is pretty ingrained into your identity. A lot of people over time have chosen death rather than renouncing their faith. Yeah, never mind. I was wrong on that one. It's not just like, you know, casual religion either, because you're like living and breathing all the time in a monastery. It's true. When you're there, you're family. And Ian was almost caught too. When he fled into a hall of the temple where he was staying, soldiers went in after him. Desperate, he hid among the sacred images, and the soldiers were surprised to find a new fudo among the Buddhas on the altar. They were also suspicious, however, and when they lifted the fudo down, it turned back into a nin. He used a mimic spell. They reported this alarming transformation to the emperor, who decided that being a foreign monk, Anin should simply be expelled from China. Greatly re- relieved, Anin fled for the border. Beyond the distant mountains, he came to an isolated compound with a high wall around it, pierced by a single gate. 
It was a good thing to see a human dwelling, he thought to himself. He learned from, the, learned from the gatekeeper that the establishment belonged to a certain rich man. The gatekeeper asked Anin who who was. I'm a Japanese monk and I come to China to study the Buddha's teaching, Anin replied. But now I'm trying to escape this terrible persecution. The man remarked that hardly anyone, I almost lost it there for a second, sorry. Hardly anyone ever came there. Why not stay a while, he suggested. When things have quieted down, you can go back to studying. Anin accepted gladly. The gatekeeper locked the gate behind him and led him into a bustling compound filled with buildings. He was given a room off to one side. Next, he went a-looking for a good place to practice his devotions. He found no sign of Buddhism or of monks, but in the back, towards the mountain, he heard pitiful human groans coming from a building. Peering anxiously through a crack in the fence round the place, he saw people tied up and hung in mid-air, the jaws below them to catch their dripping blood. Yeah. Horrified, he called to ask them why they were being tortured, but received no reply. Then he tried another spot and heard an answering groan. <laughs> Thank you, Maddie. <laughs> Beyond the fence, people were lying on the ground, deathly pale and emaciated, just like Johnny Depp. Anine oh, no. beckoned. Right, he is looking a little bloated these days. It's not the best analogy. Anine beckoned to one and asked again what had brought this to pass. The victim slipped his wasted arm through the fence and, with a bit of wood, traced the following message on the ground. Um, I guess this would be me speaking as what was written. So, in the words of the letters on the ground. Is this dying castle? The victim wrote. People who come here are first given a drug, which deprives them of speech, then fed another, which fattens them. After that, they're hung up and their skin slit all over so that their blood drips out. Their blood is used to dye tie-dyed stuffs, which are sold. All of us are being tortured this way, because we did not know about the trap. You will find food in your dark grains, looking just like sesame seeds. These are the drug that robs you of speech. If they tried to feed them to you, only pretend to eat them. Get rid of them and groan if anyone talks to you. Then escape as fast as you can, but not through the gate, because it is locked and impassable until you reach level 20. I like um, that you spoke in the voice of the words written on the ground. Also, that is a lot of words to yeah. write on the ground when writer. you're actively bleeding out. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, he was writing this through a crack in the fence. With a piece, with a stick, wall hung upside down, being bled. Yeah, that seems like a, quite the feat. Quite the. Feat I'd have probably indeed. just written like help. Like dying. Or you know, like the part of Lord of the Rings where they're in the cave and they say they oh, are coming, he, and then it's a scrawl, and then he says, "Ah." That you just confused um, Lord of the Rings with Monty Python. No, no, no! I combined them. 
I made what you call a joke. A remix. A remix joke, yeah. Yes, yes. Very yeah. good, Maddie. Real, it was real great. Anin returned to his room, and a meal was soon brought to him. Oh, wait, hang on. Okay. I wanted to talk about, you know what was cool, though? What? They said it, he was like, he impersonated a thing of Mudo. Fudo. Fudo. What did I say? You said Mudo. <laughs> yes, I meant Fudo. So Fudo Mew, the king of mystic knowledge, the unbreakable, removes all spiritual fog on the way to salvation. Captures evil influences and senders in- ignorance with the sword. And then there's like this cool photo of what that looks like. What is Jack? It's very much a, yeah, it's cool. Japan try. Oh, this one's even better. The main deity of the Yamabushi. Mio is the name of the deities in Japan, lords of secret knowledge who protect people from demons. There are only five Mio, four of them protect the cardinal directions, and the central fi- figure being Fudo Mio. And then look, this one's even better. Fuck yeah. A Mortal Kombat character. Yeah. It's tight. He's got a face that's telling you, back off, demon. You know? He's got a face that looks to me like an incredulous metalworking teacher that really doesn't trust you with the welder. Hmm. Any hoozle. He's that's judging who you when they mistake him you. to be, which is interesting. Now. And Ian returned to his room. I don't know. I'm just changing voices now. And a meal was soon brought to him. In the food, there were black grains, which he slipped into the fold of his robe and later threw away, as he was a wasteful little prick. When a servant spoke to him... Or a master of sleight of hand. Indeed. He only groaned in reply. <laughs> yes. Again, Anine pretended... <laughs> the servant was per- deceived and gave Anine next the drug to fatten him. Anine pretended to eat this too, but did not. When he was alone again, he turned to the northeast and prayed with desperate intensity to all the good powers of Hiei, his home mountain and monastery in Japan. Suddenly, a large black dog appeared, caught Anin's sleeve in his jaws and tugged. Anin thought it best to follow. The dog led him to where a brook entered the compound, a place he would never have found on his own. Once he was outside, the dog vanished. Anything to say about the pup? Do you think it was a lion dog? It is China. Possibly. Well, wait. So, he's a Japanese monk visiting... China. China? Or a Chinese monk visiting Japan? No, he's in China to learn the Buddhist teachings, but the Chinese emperor was persecuting Buddhists, so he's trying to get out. For some reason I mixed that up in my brain, but yes, okay, got it. He ran wherever his legs would carry him till he came to a village beyond the mountains and described to a curious villager who he was and where he had been. How awful, exclaimed the villager. (laughs) That's Dying Castle. No one goes in there ever returns. Only the Buddhists could possibly have gotten you at. You must be a saint. He immediately prostrated himself before Anin. At last, Anin made his way secretly back to the capital, and in 18, no, 846, Emperor Wu Sung died. 
The next emperor halted the persecution so that Anin was able to complete his stay in China profitably and returned to Japan with a rich store of holy wisdom and all his blood, I'll add. That was Dying Castle. Okay, that's the first a good one. of our tales of escape. That's a good one. Yes, it was a Dark Souls level for sure. It definitely was a Dark Souls level. Yeah, you were like, you were in a monastery, and then suddenly you're in a castle where everyone's hung up for some reason and bleeding. So that they could make trinkets. I actually missed that detail my first read through. They were dyeing it, things with the blood. Yeah, they were tie dyeing. <laughs> which is crazy. Fabric to that's make trinkets brown. to sell. But it's also hilarious because I that I thought you were going to stop me and accuse me of making me making a joke there. <laughs> it's well, a pretty know, funny detail. They gotta have one reason to do it. I guess that's as good as any other. I suppose. I suppose. Why don't you do your normal voice now? Since that seemed like you switched voices a few times. It was. Oh come on! I'm a master at this. A little hard for you. All right, now we're in between. So, making mouth sounds with Maddie. Uh, would you do a frightened badger? I don't know what badgers sound like. Give it your all. I have no frame of reference. Come on, Maddie. Think of a different one. No. I don't like this. All right, horny dolphin. I don't want to do this. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) That's been Mouth Sounds with Maddie. I'm not going to do it. You think of a different bit. No, we'll keep coming back to this until it happens. All right. (laughs) So this next tale comes for the... (laughs) <laughs> From the 11th century manuscript, the Kunjaku Monogatarisha. Nope, Monogatarishu. Tales of times now past. Tales of times now past. Yes. Okay. All of these tales are and written. And when was that written? The 11th century. Okay, cool. So compiled it's in the 11th way century. Way past. Yes, indeed. Yes, even for. Especially now, they're, they're quite past. Yeah. <laughs> It's been some Passed time. for a hot minute. <laughs> um, all the tales found in this text are written with a structure, a beginning and ending structure that is similar. So they all kind of link together, though the, the events depicted within each story are, can walk very wildly. But this um, strict beginning end structure gives the act of reading through the full piece the feeling of, quote, like gliding down a broad river past an ever-changing landscape, which I thought was just lovely. It is lovely. It was very visual, for sure. Taken in. A newly appointed deputy viceroy of Kyushu had many children, but the last of them was his favorite. I know that feeling. You were the only child. Yep. That's not the same as being the last one. It applies. A bright and handsome son, now twenty years old, though not from a warlike family, the young man was remarkably strong and brave, and his parents were so fond of him that they took him down to Kyushu with him. Meanwhile, the deputy viceroy's assistant, the governor of Chikuzen, had a lovely teenage daughter, whom he and his wife loved so much that they had taken her down to Kyushu as well. The deputy viceroy was so eager for the two to marry that his assistant could hardly refuse, and on an auspicious day, the pair were happily united. But the groom had always aspired to a government career, and he now planned to go up to the capital. Parting from his wife was out of the question, so he decided to take her with him by land 
since the sea route seemed a bit too risky. He set off with a party of twenty picked retainers and with a train of pack horses and servants on foot. Is it really dangerous in the ocean? Pirates. If they're doing the set of inland sea, and even around it, yeah, there's fuckloads of pirates. In the 11th century? Yes. Okay. I don't know how you know that, but sure. I've been reading a lot of Japanese folklore. They were making good time when they reached Inamino in Harima province, late on a January afternoon. A stiff wind was blowing, mixed with snow. From the mountains to the north, a monk rode towards them. An imposing fellow in a red robe, violet trousers, and straw boots, carrying a lacquered whip. The saddle on his spirited horse was also inlaid with mother of pearl. That's a sweet freaking visual. It's very random. And I wish that my character in Elden Ring looked like this guy. Yeah. He dismounted and bowed respectfully to the young man. I have long served his excellency, the governor of Shikuzen, he said. I happen to hear you, sir, that you are on your way to the capital. And since I live in the mountains north of here, I came to offer my hospitality. If you do not mind roughing it a bit. He was ever so polite. The young man's retainers all dismounted in turn while the young man reined in his horse. It's really quite kind of you, he replied. But I want to get to Kyoto as fast as I can. I may return to Kyushu next year, though, and then I'd be happy to see you. <laughs> but the monk would not take no for an answer. The He's son, a monk, huh? Huh? Yeah, oh, like okay. warrior monk with a lacquered, lacquered whip. Warrior monk. Okay, does he have a staff? No staff. Huh. Lacquered whip, though. I feel like warrior monks usually have staffs. Sometimes. Sometimes they just rock their fists. But the monk would not take no for an answer. The sun had almost sunk behind the mountains by now, and the retainers were so obviously eager to accept that at last the young man yielded. The monk led the way with a satisfied air, assuring his guests that they had not far to go. Two or three miles brought them to a compound entirely surrounded by a high wall. The monk took the young couple straight in to what appeared to be living quarters on the south side of the compound and had refreshments served them while the horses were foddered. The servants and retainers, meanwhile, were giving lodgings a good way up. This reminds me of in The Walking Dead, when they come to that village where everybody is, like, gathered, and it's after uh, the mini-plague inside the prison, and then it turns out they're all cannibals, and so they have to fight their way out. I don't think I ever got there. I think I jumped ship before that started. I jumped ship very soon after that because they killed off Glenn. And I said, there's no reason for me to keep watching this now. Uh, you stuck in for a while. I remember when Glenn died and I was surprised to hear that show was still going. Yeah. Isn't it still going? This doesn't matter. After a lively <laughs> and luxurious feast, the couple, alone but for a maid or two, loosened their clothes and lay down. The maids had enjoyed themselves freely and were now asleep. I don't know what the hell that means. Oh, just they were drinking too. But the couple were wide awake, somehow ill at ease. They had hardly eaten or drunk. As they chatted, they assured each other tenderly of their love and wondered in a strangely gloomy mood what their journey would yet bring them. Slowly <laughs> the hours passed. In the small, assuring each other of our love and making sure that the gloomy mystery of the next few days would be all right. 
So it seems like they probably drugged all their stuff, right? Mm. Isn't that so? People, that were, people were just uh, drunk and fat. Yeah, I'm, I'm calling it now. They drugged something. In the small hours, they heard with misgiving footsteps approaching from within the house. Suddenly, the door by the head of their bed slid open. The young man jumped up, but was seized by the hair and dragged away. Strong though he was, it had all happened too fast. He had not been able to pick up the sword he kept by his pillow. The assailant knocked a shadow open and hauled him out of the room. Kenomio Maru, he called. Are you ready? See that you take care of the usual. Right, answered a nasty voice. Hands seized the young man's collar and rustled him off. There was a fenced area in one corner of the compound, and the gate in the fence opened onto a pit thirty feet deep with hundreds of sharpened bamboo stakes planted at the bottom. Oh year after year, travelers like the young man on their way back and forth to the capital were lured in, given wine that led them, left them dead drunk, then thrown into the pit, while their similarly drunk retainers were stripped of everything they owned. Some retainers were killed, while others, the more promising ones, were pressed into service. This was the trap the young man and his party had fallen into. Not so much of a party now, is it? So did the guy that... I added that last bit, but I see you didn't laugh, so perhaps you didn't hear me. Not much of a party now, is it? <laughs> there, they see, yeah, uh, you didn't hear me. Feel your face when we laugh. Was the warrior monk the one that led them to this compound? No, no, we haven't heard from him yet. Yeah, he's, he's off doing something. Okay, so he's going to be the big rescuer? Kenio Maru dragged the young man to the fence, opened the gate, and propelled him through it. But the young man clung to a gatepost and could not be budged further. Sounds very clumsy and kind of comedic. Yeah. Seems I like let go of the fence. <laughs> yeah, the extent, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kenyo Amaru got on the pit side of him and pulled, which was a terribly stupid move. Yeah, why don't you push him? Slight incline down from the gate. Why wouldn't you the push him? The young man shifted his weight and gave a powerful shove, which sent Kenyo Amaru hurtling into the pit. Yeah, that's what he should have done. Then he closed the gate and stole under the veranda of the house. But not before he looked at him and said, That looks like the pits. <laughs> Did he not? So there's no like narrative thing about the squelching sound when he hits the sharpened sticks. No, but this might be a good chance for us to play once again our game of no mouth noises with Maddie. I don't know what that. Can you, Mario? I shoved you into the pit. <laughs> At last, he was able to think. I'm not looking forward to hearing that again. <laughs> he could try to arouse his retainers, but they were unconscious with drink, and besides. There was a moat between him and the bridge was drawn. Instead, he crept under the floor of the room where he'd just been. He heard the monk come in to his wife. He is the monk. No doubt you'll be shocked to hear me confess it, said the monk. But in the daylight, when the wind blew your veil aside, I caught a glimpse of your face, and now I can think only of you. Forgive me. He slid into bed beside her. What the fuck? Before I started up to the capital. Oh, wait, this is her. If I started up to the capital, I made a vow to abstain for one hundred days. There are just three days left. Uh-huh. When those three days are over, I'll do anything you say. What I have in mind will bring you far more merit than that. The man who was everything to me has vanished before my eyes, and I can't prevent you doing whatever you want with me. I can't refuse you in the end. You know that. You've no need to be so impatient. She was holding him off. Conceding he had a point, the monk went away. That husband of mine won't die a shameful death, the woman murmured to herself. 
and the young man under the floor, raging, heard her. He pushed a sliver of wood up through a crack beneath, between the floorboards, right in front of her. And when she saw it, she knew she had been right. She waggled the sliver, and he knew she had understood. You would get that too, right? If you thought I was dead, and you saw a sliver come through the wall, you'd be like, Tucker's fine. That's my husband's sliver right there. Wait. What is this? What is what is he sticking in the sliver there? He's sticking a sliver up through the the floorboard. You mean like a stick? Yeah, like a sliver of a stick. He's like, okay, check it out. So he's like, and hey, she's like, husband. Yeah, I mean, wasn't she also kind of awake when he got dragged off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the like, darkness. Uh huh. So she's well, probably yeah, like she thinks he's dead. Probably. Yeah, he's probably dead. And that so, wasn't, like, her agreeing to get assaulted. She's like, well, I should say something so he doesn't do it, like, right now. Yeah. So let me think of an excuse, politely, as I've been trained to do by society, and maybe like a, that will hold him off. She's like a Benny Jesuit. Yeah, I mean, it's horrible that she couldn't just say, like, fuck off, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> it's also, you sleazy monk. Aren't you a monk? What the you're fuck? A monk, and my husband was just ripped out of our bedchamber. Yeah, by I one just of your associates. Said, yeah, I, I also you're like supposed a, to be here doing stuff. Where go get my husband? What are you doing? That is a power play, though, for her just to like stay there and just be like, well, well, hopefully this plays out well. Oh, the monks arrived. <laughs> I. So, like, what the fuck is he doing? He's waiting for the husband to get dragged off, and he's yeah. like, let me and jump in bed with the wife. He makes his move. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the monk kept coming back to try again, but she always managed to put him off. I, please stop. Hey, thanks. Hey, maybe in three days from now, and by three days, I mean never. <laughs> the, w- the woman looked at him and said, Get out of here, Sim. When he was finally gone, the wife silently opened a shutter and her husband came out from under the floor into the room. Both burst into tears and promised each other that they were to, if they were to die, they would die together. The young man asked what had happened to his sword. I hid it under the matting when you were dragged away, she answered, and brought it out. It was a ray of hope at last. Oh, see, I told you she was awake, and then she's like, ah, oh, he didn't take his sword, let me hide the sword. Sword in hand, the young man stealthily made his way towards his retainers. What a useful wife, see? Seven or eight carving blocks stood beside a long fire pit, and the monk's men were sprawled nearby amid the scattered remains of their dinner, with their bows, quivers, armor, daggers, and swords beside them. The monk himself was asleep on his armrest. A pair of tables before him bore silver vessels full of the leavings from his meal. Ew. Yeah, that's an upsetting way to describe the leftovers on your plate. The leavings. These are my chicken leavings. Do you know, I think because leavings also has been used as sort of a thing to describe, like, yeah, excrement as well. Maddie, come clean up the leavings of my Hungry Man TV dinner. I see you have leavings of brownie in your beard, husband. Let me nibble upon them. Yeah, I mean, that just shows how much of a metaphor it is, because if you asked me to do anything like that, I would just smack you instead of doing it. Mmm, I see you have queso leavings in of your mustache. Of course, it would be a verbal slap, but still. <laughs> They're like, excuse me. <laughs> Help me now, O canon of Hesedera, the young man prayed. Let me see my parents again. Since the monk was so unexpectedly sleeping, he decided to attack straight off, cut off the monk's head, 
and die, for he saw no chance of escape. Yeah, that makes sense. At the first blow, the monk cried out and raised his arms in fright, like a red panda. But the next blow killed him. Huh. I added the red it's panda to chop thing. off a head. Takes a second. Yeah, Maddie, how do you know that? Well, there's, like, stuff. It's like all this stuff in your neck and a skeleton, so it's hard to chop through that. Yeah, every it's true. Every human does have a full skeleton in their neck. That's what keeps your head up. That's my little neck man. Lives in my throat. Keeps my head up high. I mean, okay. The monk's men were certainly many, but Cannon must really have protected the young men, because when they saw their leader dead, they thought they had been invaded by a large force. Besides, they themselves had all been caught and forced into service by the man, and they had no wish to fight for him. Now he was dead, and it did not occur to them to resist. Instead, they all blurted out at once. I didn't do anything wrong. I used to serve Lord so-and-so before I fell into this twap. The young man, put on a good show of having ample reinforcements behind him, herded them all off and locked them up. It was a long wait till dawn. When day came at last, he aroused his own retainers, who came out dazed and rubbing their eyes to clear away the fumes of last night's wine. They sobered up right away when they heard what had happened and went to look at the pit. The bamboo stakes down at the bottom bristled up through the corpses, new and old. Kinyomaru, a lanky youth clad in a single miserable wrap, and with the clogs still on his feet, lay there impaled, still twitching a little. The scene might as well have been from hell. Now the young men called the monk's servants out again, and they confessed all the terrible, terrible things they had been made to do over the years. They were not punished, since they themselves were not responsible. A messenger was sent with a report for the emperor who was greatly impressed with the young man's deed. Finally, the young man himself went up and on to Kyoto, received an official post, and found that everything went for him just as he had always hoped. He and his wife stayed with each other through all the trials and joys that came their way, and must have often talked over the memories of that awful night. No one ever discovered any relative or any other connection to the robber monk, so for him the matter was closed. It took a wise and prudent man to do what that young man did. Anyone who hears this story should consider himself warned not to spend the night in a place he doesn't know. Note, too, that the young man could have done nothing without Cannon's help. Not that Cannon ever wishes to kill, but after all, the robber had killed many people, and Cannon could hardly approve. <laughs> I like how you switched voices at the end there. Because it just felt like something out of like the 1940s. God doesn't love to kill, but if you must, God will kill for everyone in the United States of America. So buy these war bonds so Jesus can kill the Nazis. <laughs> I'd say Cannon likes to kill. I mean, Cannon's like the thousand-armed cannon. It's definitely got swords in some of those arms. Like a spear and there's a serpent. Well, I feel like... Uh, instruments of death in those hands. I'm getting the impression that it's a deity of justice. He's... It's the one with, like, the thousand arms. That's canon. So, there's a thing in that book about that deity. Can you read it? That's interesting. Yes, we can take a little detour off to canon, who was just described in this story as not liking to kill, but will certainly do it at a moment's notice. Canon is actually a, uh, a bodhisattva. Which we've talked about before is a being who has vowed not to enter final nirvana and thus continues to live on in an ascended nature in our realm. The Bodhisattva Canon is often identified as the goddess of mercy. The mercy is quite right, 
But for Japan, the goddess part is doubtful, if only because in terms of the Lotus Sutra, a female bodhisattva is impossible. Sexually specific depictions of canon are an all-male. In any case, the variety of canon's forms makes the question less interesting than it might sound. The canon sutra tells how canon may take any conceivable form to save beings from any conceivable peril. Moreover, Nyoririn canon, thousand-armed canon, and eleven-headed canon are only some forms of the many canon that are depicted in religious art. The main image on the altar of a temple dedicated to canon would be a specific form such as the eleven-headed canon or the thousand-armed one, and that form alone would be associated with that temple. Yoirin canon usually has six arms, eleven-headed canon, looks quite normal except for a sort of crown formed of faces with different expressions, and thousand-armed canon has about that number of arms. The thousand-armed form simply shows graphically the countless ways canon saves beings from danger. So this is kind of like what I was mentioning earlier about, like, there's usually a spear, a sword, a snake, so he's saving people from spears and swords and snakes. But the reasons for all the other forms are more complicated. All wield saving power. So, yeah, he is the goddess, or yeah, they are the goddess of mercy, or generally sent to save people. Not so much kill, but I guess in the story we just recounted, he wasn't really doing the killing. He just made sure that young boy's sword song swung true. He cleaved through that head like it would just butter. Did it say that? No, that's well, you got through that head, and as you said, I think it needs another swing, is what happened. Yeah, you got, like you got through it. Butter or whatever. I got one more and then a really short one. Okay. All right, our third tale today. It's called The Sacrifice. Ooh. In the province of Mimasaka, there are two gods, Chusan and Koya. Koya is a snake, and Chusan? A monkey. A monkey? Each year, during the annual festival, these gods used to be offered a live human. Preferably a boy. Interesting. I added that part, because all of our stories tend to have a boy at some point. And they had always gotten the sacrifices they required. A pretty girl with a handsome figure, long hair, and fine white skin. See, just like what I described earlier. Yeah, that's more what I was expecting. Because <laughs> that's generally, usually you sacrifice a fair maiden, blah, blah, blah. One um, year. Except in Mayan, apparently. Yeah. I was a young man. One year, the choice fell on the daughter of a certain household. Her parents were heartbroken. After all, the tie of a parent to child springs from a karmic bond already long established in lives gone by. A comic bond? Karmic. Oh. As in karmic. karmic. Yeah, okay. And even an ill-favored girl will always be dear, let alone one as lovely in every way as this girl. The girl, for her part, knew that soon she would never see her mother and father again, and she spent her last days and nights in tears. Then a hunter from the east passed through the village, a strange, fierce man. He was so immensely strong that his accustomed prey of a wild boar, which he killed and ate at will, thinking nothing of it. Those ordinary people and angry boars terrifying. The hunter mm -hmm. happened to stop at the girl's house, and her father mentioned why the family was so sad. 
What <laughs> she done in past lives? He groaned. Do you have for this? Oh, uh, no, mate. Don't even say that, because she's like her daughter, you know? She's, she's really pretty. The hunter took all this in. The gods are harsh, he said, but don't offer her at the festival. Let me take care of her instead. Creepy. She'll die otherwise. You don't want your only daughter cut up alive and set as meat before the god. That would be too awful. Give her to me, Snake Pliskin. The father was convinced. Anything, after all, rather than let his daughter die so ghastly a death. So the hunter went to the girl. She was practicing calligraphy, but with a very sorrowful air. You know. <laughs> That's one of the arts of the, of, um, you know, learned men and mm -hmm. fine ladies, calligraphy. And her sleeves were visibly wet from weeping. Aww. <laughs> when she I'm turned sad. aside at his approach and hid her face modestly behind her hair, he saw that it too was wet with tears. How lovely she was, and how wet everything of hers were. She, <laughs> looked, she looked so distinguished that it was hard to believe she was just a villager's child. Everyone knows the children of villagers are but ugly. He fell in love with her and decided to take her place at the sacrifice, though it might mean his own death. Oh, okay. Cool, I guess. I have a plan, he told the girl's parents. Would you be sorry to die for your daughter? Of, of, of course not, they answered. What good is life without her? Please do as you think best. In that case, stretch a sacred rope around your house and tell people you've begun purifying your daughter for the festival. Don't let anyone in and be quite sure also to tell no one I'm here. Oh I'm my a, god. I'm a sneaky little snake. Oh my god. What? Is Batman gonna be a drag queen? I'm not, I'm not Batman, I'm Snake Bliskin. Okay, Snake Bliskin gonna be a drag queen? And impersonate her? No, I'm the clone liquid snake. No, I wish you were right, but it's not that cool. Darn it. It's pretty cool, though. That would have been don't cool. Get, don't get me. I like your idea. I might do that. <laughs> I'm back to solid snake. I mean, I thought they were going to go, like, full concubine, like, in Mulan or something. Hmm. No. He spent the next few days very happily with the girl. Meanwhile, he chose the two cleverest of his dogs, which had served him well in the mountains for years. Cool. And train them by setting them day in and day out to catch and eat monkeys. They have to be pretty smart to catch a monkey. Day in and day out. Just bringing monkey corpses back to this poor, poor family. This grieving family. You know, have cut themselves off from the outside world. But have hundreds of monkey corpses showing up at their door. From these two mangy mountain dogs that are now part of their family. I thought he was saying that he did train them that way, not that he is training them that way. No, he's currently training them that way as they prepare for the festival. So, all bring day the long, you're just bringing monkeys What's back. this plan? To kill the monkey We don't guy? know yet. That doesn't make any sense. Since dogs and monkeys are natural enemies. <laughs> this is news to me. Right? And the two of them, the two would soon <laughs> attack and kill any monkey they saw. And in fact, they destroyed a great many. The hunter, for his part, spent a lot of time sharpening his murderous dagger and sword. Is he going to kill the god monkey? Often, he sighed to the girl. Ah, uh, what link from past lives can we, could have brought us together and make me now offer my life for yours? Happy to do it, but the thought of parting from you makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> the girl answered in Eloquent, yes. <laughs> the girl answered in words of gratitude and affection. At last, the festival day came, and the priest arrived at the head of the large throng to take charge of the victim. They brought a long chest, newly made, which they slid into the girl's room. 
put the offering inside as usual, they ordered, and send her out to guard. Instead, it was the hunter who got in with his dogs. Listen, you two. I've given you a good life lately, and a thousand monkey corpses, and now it's your turn to look out for me. You understand, you filthy piece of shit, dog? He patted their heads, and they whined back. Aww. Patty? Mm. Pat, pat. Next, pat, he, pat. next, he had the weapons he had so carefully sharpened laid in the chest, too. Finally, the lid was secured with strips of cloth, and the knots were sealed. With an expression of suitable grief on his face, the father slid the chest out again, and the priest took it. The procession set off with a great shaking of spears, bells, and branches of sakaki tree dear to the gods, and with a great clamor for those who went ceremonial before to clear the road. Priest, so is he in the box, or are the, the dogs box. in the box? He's in the large, muscular mountain man with his two dogs are in the box intended for one small girl. Yeah, that does seem like they Seems like there'd be a heavy. weight differential there. My God, this, <laughs> this girl is way heavy for some this reason. This girl weighs the same as Jason Momoa and two hounds, Dude. as well as weapons. God. These little frail monks. <laughs> yeah, all right. I ain't one to question it. The girl Maybe they're warrior to... monks. I never said that. These ones, I think, are just old men. <laughs> but you don't know. I don't know. That's fair. The girl listened to the commotion and thought once more of the man who had taken her place in the chest. She wonder... wondered fearfully what her parents would do if anything went wrong. But they assured her that in the face of the gods' harsh command, they themselves were quite prepared to die, and that they feared nothing at all. The offering was carried to the shrine. All the priests lined up in front of it, in order of precedence, and the, the chief priest solemnly intoned the divine invocation. Then he opened the sanctuary doors, slid the chest inside, and closed the doors again. The hunter, meanwhile, had carefully pierced a peephole in the chest with his dagger. <laughs> I call this my glory hole, so I can see God. He now sob- I'm just curious how you quietly do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, they mentioned earlier that there was a great deal of clamoring and bells as the procession made its way. Oh, well, yeah, okay, I guess you could do it with that. He now saw before him, in the seat of honor, a giant monkey, eight feet tall with a red face and buttocks and long, glossy white fur. Two hundred lesser monkeys crowded around it on either side, some with flushed faces, some with eyebrows excitedly raised, and all barking and chattering madly. Maddie, give it a go. Bark, bark. Perfect. That was very monkey-like. <laughs> a huge carving board and a long, long knife lay before them, and around the board stood jars full of salt, vinegar, and wine. Classic young girl accoutrement. While the others all clustered around, the giant monkey approached the chest and undid the knots. Get him, the, the hunter shouted. His dogs burst from the chest, set their teeth in the giant, got him down, and dragged him along the floor. Out leaped the hunter right behind him his gl blade glittering like ice. He hauled the giant onto the carving board and put the sword to his neck and roared, Scum, this is what you get for killing and eating people. You listen to me. I'm going to cut off your filthy head and feed it to my dogs. And no monkey business. You just added, and no monkey business. I did. The also, giant monkeys... this is only a conflict with the monkey god? Nothing with the snake? 
The giant monkey's red face got even redder. He blinked and great tears rolled from his giant monkey eyes while his monkey lips drew back to expose gleaming monkey teeth. Though he rubbed his hands together in abject entreaty with a ghastly expression, the hunter gave him no quarter. All these years, you've been eating young women and leaving people childless. Now your head's coming off for it. Just you try eating me. That's me, Stone Cold Steve Austin. He struck a savage blow, but the giant monkey's head did not roll quite so easily. Meanwhile, the two dogs had chased the others into the trees, where they sat shrieking so frantically that the mountains sang and the earth seemed ready to split. Next, the god possessed one of the shrine priests. Never! Never make me a live offering again, he howled. The practice must stop. I've learned, oh, how I've learned not to kill humans. They're such peaceful and nice things. And don't harm the man who did this to me or punish the family that was supposed to provide the offering. I'll protect them and their descendants forever. But quickly now, please beg this man for my life. I'm in terrible monkey danger. This guy's absolutely bananas. The priest and the followers <laughs> rushed into the sanctuary and pleaded with the hunter to desist. We understand, please they cried. desist, please. Please, please, release the god. He, he promised not to do it again. You think he promised? Don't just let him go. He's a murderer, and I'm going to teach him a thing or two about suffering. I'm vengeance. As he showed no sign of relenting, the oh, monkey's really? heads... Huh? I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> the monkey's head <laughs> seemed as good as off. The chief, chief priest made every promise he could think of, and the gods swore that he would never, never do it again. At last, the hunter gave in. All right. All right. So what, he like most Just make sure you don't. On? I'm a bit of a grouchy old cuss. I really Wait. wanted to kill God today. The monkey went free. When it was all over, the hunter returned to the girl's house and lived out happily as her husband. Since he was actually of noble stock, he made an excellent match. After that, it was a boar or deer which served as live offerings to the god. Yeah, that snake was never mentioned. No snake. Okay, well, they just said that there were two gods and then... Yeah, it doesn't necessarily that they're both in it. Yeah. It's cool, though, that there's also a snake god. But, if you remember, in Sekiro, in that deep valley, there was a giant snake. And what else? Giant monkey. I don't remember that. Mm -mm. You don't remember the giant snake? I remember the giant snake. I don't remember the giant monkey. Whose head you actually take off. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Just and so I have one last short story for you. Oh, sure. Very, very short. Okay. It dates from the late 13th century when a young Japanese warrior of noble stock was attempting to flee imprisonment from his uncle, the revered general who had imprisoned his poor misguided nephew, a local folk hero, after he had gone against the warrior's code and poisoned their enemies. Are you enemies. talking about Ghost of Tsushima? Yes. <laughs> this is a bit. friend, You don't Kenji have another story. came by with a large pot to sneak him out. Oh, shit. <laughs> there goes the timer for me to end my bit. Anyway, yes, Maddie, how have you liked our tales of escape? They were really good. There's a lot of drama in there. I was kind of surprised. Yes. Yes, indeed. It's really interesting. Oh, yes. I, I thoroughly enjoyed those tales. They brought my body all a jitter. <laughs> so your last tale is Ghost of Tsushima? Yes. The greatest of escapes. 
in which the horse dies. I loved it. The horse dies in that escape, though, if you recall. Wow. Yeah. And then on the map, it's marked place of a friend or Mm -hmm. whatever. Resting place of a friend, which is so sad. I actually messed my own bit up because I was going to initially start it with, this story is about a young warrior whose father died and he did nothing. (laughs) You want to try it again? No. (laughs) Because now you already know, so it's not going to be fun. So, Maddie, let me ask you, what life lesson did you learn from these tales today? We have the dying castle, taken in, and sacrifice. What did you get? If not necessarily from all three, but just in general. Any better ways to live your life? So, dying castle. If you are under persecution and then you just come across a gatekeeper that's like, yeah, come on in. I have no feelings about the world conflict that's going on around us. No big deal. Come on through. So what you're saying is... Maybe, like, question that a little bit. If you're in a life-or-death situation, especially if it's systematic like that, uh, if it seems too good to be true, it is. I mean... For such a generous offer. It's not like, hey, yeah, you can hide in the storeroom for a night or whatever. Yeah. It was like, come live in our house. Yeah. He's like, you can definitely have an extra room, blah, blah, blah. I believe his offer was that you could stay here until the reign of this current emperor is over. Which is like, lifetime. Know, that could be forever. <laughs> yeah. That makes no sense. So, whatever. Also, like, I guess you can be, like, really dexterous with your one hand through a fence the second one though never trust a man with a whip okay yeah that could be one he definitely didn't like you know that guy in underworld didn't do so good whatever that was you're the local expert on underworld there's like a vampire and he has a bunch of whips against a werewolf and then it just looks stupid anyway no so i I would actually say that actually filled me with a lot of like horrific true crime like stuff of like things that people have done to like deter their rapist and i feel like you know she really pulled out all the stops it will it won't work for every kind of rapist so i'll tell you that you gotta you know do your research if you want i don't want to get into it that much but i yeah, just maybe felt she, like she it, was really brave in the face of horrible yeah i feel like kudos for her for keeping it going as long as she did after he went away that first time, I would have gotten that hidden sword and just been ready with it on her end. Yeah, but maybe she's not trained in the sword, and then maybe she would have then... Stick him with the pokey end. Yeah, but it's hard to lift, you know? It's a katana. They're light. Swords are not light. Swords are heavy. Katana are meant to be light. Anyway, yes. Isn't it katana? Oh, I don't know anymore. I don't know either. She wasn't caught, so... Then that's a thing where, like, it was working, like, her placating him with whatever these things. So you just go with what's working, right? But if suddenly she's violent, then that invites him to then be violent in return. And if she's not confident that she can slice him up with that sword because it's probably heavy or some shit, then I think what she did makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Also. Also, I forgot to read the line of after uh, the young... Uh, noble had cut the head off of the warrior monk he did look down at him and say no need to lose your head <laughs> <Stupid>. <laughs> and the third one with the monkey sacrifice 
Yeah. I guess mountain dogs are really smart. That that's the takeaway. And mountain priests are very strong. Well, that wasn't a priest, he was just a dude. No, the guys that were carrying the box. Oh yeah. Well, there's a bunch of them. Presumably two. Uh, I guess they could be four. They could be more than four, even. They yeah. could have a bunch of holes underneath. Or a sedan. It. Yeah. As it were. Could do a whole thing. Palanquin. Okay. What this are is our the word I was trying to remember with Mike, Michael Reeves last week was palanquin. Yes. Palanquin? Palanquin. Yeah. What are our social media things? Instagram, ADD Storytelling Podcast. And, <laughs> and then TikTok at ADD Storytelling. ADD underscore storytelling. Indeed. Uh, on TikTok. You can also support our podcast on anchor.fm slash ADD Storyteller. Mm-hmm. And you can email us at ADD Storyteller at gmail.com. We love you and don't trust monkeys. Cut their heads off. If you see a monkey, get your dog out. They're natural enemies. <laughs> yeah, natural enemies. And if you're sad, wipe your tears with your hair in your sleeves until you've got nothing but wet sleeve tears. And, uh, yeah. Bye. Fall in love easily.